This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode number 577. We're going to have an open mic and talk a little bit about From the Trenches, people dealing with education, cleaning, and disinfecting for the coronavirus outbreak, uh, now considered a pandemic. Joining us will be Dave Mason and Tom Peter, two restoration pros that we've had on the show in the past. We really respect their opinion. And the Restoration Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. IAQ Radio Association sponsors are the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. Learn more at acgih.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute. Learn more at cirscience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association. Learn more at iaqa.org. And the Restoration Industry Association. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. IAQ Radio Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Learn more at aemlinc.com. Particles Plus. Learn more at particlesplus.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello everyone. Congratulations go out to Doug Conan, AirTech Environmental. Dayton, Ohio, who was first to identify the etymology of the term influenza. It comes from the Italian word meaning influence. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday, March 13, 2020, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Who was Dmitry Lasafovich Ivanovsky. Back to you, Joe. Okay, so joining us is Dave Mason. He's the senior consultant and president of Atlantic Restoration Services, providing disaster recovery services across the United States. They offer complete building and contents decontamination services and repairs property damage. He's a consultant in forensic building investigations, litigation support, and property damage restoration, and he's a qualified professional for arbitration, subrogation, appraisals, and court proceedings, and he plays a mean guitar, too. So, uh, Cliff, why don't you introduce our other guest? Our other guest is Tom Peter, CIH. He's the CEO of Insurance Restoration Specialists of Eats Brunswick, New Jersey. Tom has supervised just about every type of hazardous waste, indoor environmental quality, mold remediation, water damage restoration project that there is, all while walking in the shoes of a certified industrial hygienist. His vast experience in the field and his education make him the go-to guy in the restoration world for issues like the coronavirus. 
Back to you, Joe. All right, let's let's start with you, Dave. You're uh, operating out of both Atlanta and uh, West Palm Beach. I understand you're in Miami today. What's the uh, what have things looked like to you on the ground? Are you are you swamped? Uh, we appreciate you breaking away. Um, and and what type of work are people calling about? Well, we're busy all over the country, actually, uh, through all our contacts, and uh, we're getting a great number of calls from our hospital clients who have had affected patients through the VA system and many other small immediate care clinics who have had infected people or people they think who were infected come through. And we've had a been deluged by preemptive inquiries and estimates for folks that want to be ready in case they do have a, an infected person come into their facility. So we've been extremely busy writing estimates. We've, we've, the treatments are are busy but they're just i think right now we're just ramping up more than anything and preparing for the hopefully we don't have a flood but i have a feeling that we're going to be next week once there's more testing done and people verify that it's actually a corona case and not just a a normal seasonal flu i think things are really going to get to a fever pitch Okay, Tom, same question for you, operating out of the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. Um, how are things going in your field, in your experience in the trenches? Uh, yeah, we've been ramping up for the last week and a half, um, handling dozens of phone calls every day um, from offices to hospitals to universities and local schools. Uh, the panic is out there where they want to close a school and have it cleaned. And if uh, they don't have the staff to do it, they're going to call us in for final cleaning and disinfecting. Um, things really didn't happen until now. Uh, we're getting calls. To, we got crews going out this weekend and all of next week already scheduled. So we're seeing it already happening, and I think it's going to get worse in the next two weeks. Did they close? They close schools in New Jersey already, right, Tom? Yes, they they've closed, uh, uh, shut down basketball games, sports events here, and some schools. Some schools are just cleaning it up themselves, which is just fine. Uh, but now we got spring break coming this week or next week for some of the universities, and they want to take advantage of that time to have the schools cleaned. Interesting. Okay, and, and Pete, uh, we're, we're going to be able to bring in the the Restoration Global Watchdog. Pete, can you, uh, you've been putting out feelers to all of your friends in the industry, your RIA member groups, and what we call the FOPs, Friends of Pete. Um, what's what's the word you're getting back, Pete? Well, <clears throat> there's kind of two schools that thought, I've been talking to guys all over the place, uh, including out in Washington State, which is kind of like the ground zero for this. That's where you know, some of the first cases hit and they had the deaths in the uh, in the senior citizen homes. And I think they have the highest mortality rate uh, so far in the U.S. Uh, on the West Coast. Um, so the, the the members and the different people I'm talking to that are working directly with healthcare facilities, uh, you know, hospitals, anything like that, they are in full kind of hard containment mode um, going through you know, the most expensive kind of processes 
because the products are expensive that they have to use for that. The labor is expensive, the containment. And in, in those situations, um, you know, the hospitals and those healthcare facilities, you know, fall under the, uh, the, the Joint Commission, the JCO reg regulations for infection control. So that, that's maybe stating the obvious, but there's several members that are involved in doing that. Um, other members, as I talk around the country and all the different regions, it's a little bit kind of like what Dave and, and, and Tom have been saying. I think that things got very ramped up in these last couple of days. Once President Trump had the speech and put these uh, these regulations in as far as people not being able to enter the country, but more importantly in the sports world, I mean, those, you know, we're like right in the heart of March Madness, um, the spring training for baseball, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the soccer leagues all over the world and, and here, the MSL in the U.S. Once once that started that 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 was the domino effect and i think that was you know like a cold splash of water in people's faces that this was serious um now john downey you know friend of the show series of sponsor as many of you know so it, the industry events that got canceled the first one that we heard of that was canceled was the plrb the property loss research this is the insurance industry Convent annual convention. Their members are all the insurance companies. There's, there's not not many organizations that know more about risk than them. And their convention was held at um, the Opryland in Gaylord, Nashville, an obviously very well known property. And they own all these Gaylord properties all over the country, which are very popular. And apparently, someone who was there, unrelated to the PLRB, I believe. Um, one of the guests came down was positive for the virus and people started to check out of the hotel. So that was canceled. Um, other events in the industry, I think and Cliff can probably comment on this, but the IICRC have their standards, uh, some annual symposium that was scheduled next week. I, I don't think they've canceled it. I think they postponed it. And then, Postponed you know, they're going to go September. through a series of go-to meetings and things of that nature to move the process along. Um, uh, we haven't ha I haven't heard anything official from RAA yet. I've heard scuttlebutt. I'm certainly not going to uh, speak on behalf of the association, so I, I don't have any formal comment on that. But their convention is scheduled in New Orleans for mid mid April. Um, I I get I have talked to some friends in New Orleans. Louisiana was one of the last states that turned red. You know, anyone that watches any of the nightly news stations, they show the the map of the U.S. with all the states that that are red that have have had coronaviruses. And for for many weeks, it was mostly the West Coast and New York and a handful like that. You know, Florida went red. We actually had a death here, I think, in the last week or so. Now there's like, as of last night, there were six states that, uh, five or six states that have no incidences. Idaho, I don't remember the four or five of them, but I remember there were a couple up there in the Northwest, a few others. Um, Louisiana just broke two days ago. It was there. Louisiana was white for the longest time. And now people I've talked to down in New Orleans said it's gone bonkers. And there are people, the, the conventions being canceled. The, you know, obviously New Orleans is a major city with a lot of things going on. So um, now, now let me tell you what Downey told me. Downey told me yesterday in a call 
And I think they've already sent some stuff out to Siri. Number one, he was doing his event in conjunction with the Spring Experience Show, and that was moved to Cincinnati for many years. That was in uh, in Florida and Clearwater. And the state of Ohio made that decision because they banned any meetings in it and that were exceeded 250 people. So they've they sent a formal notice out yesterday, and then um, John said that. The Siri group, I think they've started to send some notices out. They had been sending promotional notices about the event, you know, before it was this, the experience was canceled. They um, are going to do a live stream event. They were going to stream it anyway, but now they're going to do a stream event, and they're organizing some kind of common area with their speakers. You know, I'll let John it, shortly. He'll, I'm sure they'll be he'll be publicly disclosing that. I don't think he'd have any issues with me, you know, announcing that now on the show. Um, the, the event, I, I, I did get an email from uh, the, um, I think here in the next week or two, there was this, uh, uh, through the ISSA, there was the Clean Building Expo. And um, there was uh, a marketing, uh, marketing strategy class that Jeff Cross holds uh, with Peter Crosa and a number of other people. That Cleaning Building Expo was canceled. I think that was in Vegas. Uh, no, it was in Baltimore, actually. But it wasn't canceled. It was postponed till the summer, uh, is what I was told. And uh, I think some emails have went out on that. So this, these are all things which are out there, which people are seeing. Um, I've heard other members are kind of grouping in different parts of the country as they're being called in. And our members are getting calls, like both uh, Tom and David said, uh, they're getting calls uh, the big ones are from the universities. Uh, you know, of course, all the colleges now have uh, suspended. As a matter of fact, before I heard from Randy Rapp with Purdue, I actually heard Purdue on the news two days ago was mentioned as one of the first schools that um, discontinued their classes. And they, uh, but Randy told me officially they're going to online and most of the, most of the schools and universities are doing that now too. Uh, there are, there are uh, so the universities were big. Obviously, all the healthcare facilities, but all just general gathering places, uh, places of worship. A number of them have, are gone into different cleaning modes and have to rethink, you know, their processes as far as getting together, you know, on, on their days of worship. And um, another big one is uh, uh, even through the grapevine calls are coming in from international people that are calling American contacts uh, to deal with very high profile projects in other parts of the world. Um, the one thing I can say is our good friend Tommy Yacobellis, he's on Facebook <laughs> and uh, he's in Japan uh, and uh, we knew about this uh, a while back during the winter break event, Joe, as you're aware and uh, he's been out there for a week or two. I think he's going to be out there for a couple more weeks and there uh, he's involved in uh, doing them mitigation of uh, a cruise ship that was uh, that's been docked off the coast of Japan for a while. I don't know much more detail. I wouldn't say anything except it's on Facebook, so the whole world knows. So, you know, right, should, right. Get, get, well, get a picture of him on that. Let's um, go. The, go ahead. One last thing. Let, let me just say one last thing, Joe, before I, I turn it back to you. So uh, there's a lot of people that have been in these holding patterns because people are not quite sure what to do. So if they're not going the hard containment process, a lot of, of, of clients, commercial clients, 
who already have relationships with many of our members, you know, the, the guys are calling it a placebo effect that essentially they want to go in there, use good hygiene, you know, good, good engineering, you know, best practice engineering controls, wiping surfaces down. I mean, some of these airports have been calling our members. I mean, I don't know whether manpower is going to come to do this. And some of it could be because they're being advised by corporate counsel, their liability issues. Maybe it's just to, to create comfort for people. I don't know whether that would be a false sense of security or not. But that's very, very common. A lot of guys are putting out requests for that. I think some people have actually started some projects and processes along those lines and are being very clear on exactly what the terms are. The well-known restoration lawyer, Ed Cross, has been working on and has sent out, uh, has created a special contract documents for companies who are dealing with the coronavirus that have language. It's, it's mostly California-based, but it could be easily reviewed and applied for other states around the country. Uh, a lot of people are, are, are pretty much uh, well aware of that. I will tell you on a personal note, uh, from my travel schedule, my three favorite uh, uh, companies that I deal with is American Airlines, the Hilton Hotels, National Rent-A-Car. The day after the Trump announcement, the first email in my inbox was from American Airlines. Anyone on here got, probably got the same email. Yep. It was a three-and-a-half-minute video from the CEO of American, how they're dealing with it. Right after that was a, was an email from the CEO of Hilton Hotels, how they're dealing with it. This morning I got one from National Car Rental telling how they're dealing with it. So everybody's on top of this, and I just think there's a heck of a lot more questions than there are answers. So. Okay, um, let me let me I go to Dave, uh, Dave Mason. Dave, as far as the projects that you're looking at now, is there a third party involved, or, or there, is someone writing a protocol? Um, is there any kind of post remediation testing being done, or even some kind of testing prior to the remediation? Uh, no. There has been no protocols provided to me. They are not requesting a protocol. And we do come in and do an initial uh, inspection to check the bio load with ATP meters to see if they're actually ready to be sterimisted, the process we use, to see if it's actually going to be effective without pre-cleaning to determine if pre-cleaning is necessary. You know, Tom, let me bring you in. Same question to you. Um, no, I'm writing my own protocols for cleaning uh, based on the site conditions, uh, what level of cleaning that they want. Uh, they do, do they want just a general touch point cleaning or do they want a combination of touch point cleaning and uh, disinfecting with a similar uh, device? We use Tomi as well, uh, Steramis, uh, for final treatment. So when there's um, a general custodial type cleaning, we just go in there and touch point cleaning. If there's a, a known case or a COVID-19 uh, patient or, or exposure, then we step it up a level on the biohazard level and protection of our workers, and then we go ahead with the uh, steramis. So different levels of cleaning uh, for different clients, really. Tom, can you go ahead and give us a little more detail on the, the stepped-up personal protective equipment when there has been a confirmed case in a facility? There we'll go in with uh, suits and full-face respirators and or, if needed, uh, PAPR, hooded PAPRs. 
typically we use the hooded PAPRs when we use the Steramist anyway. So um, it is a step up on the PPE and uh, safety procedures and the cleaning procedures all together. So it's all thorough cleaning, not just touch points, but you're, you're cleaning every reachable surface uh, and then handling it with a uh, broad spectrum disinfectant like Tomy Steramist. And are you doing any pre or post testing using ATP or any other type of uh, uh, method? Yes, same thing. Yes, we are. And uh, that's pretty standard right now. That's the only real test that somebody can use uh, to verify cleanliness. And all you're looking at is the biological load. You're really not, you know, confirming whether there's still COVID-19 there or not. I don't know of any methodology for testing for COVID-19 on surfaces right now. So. Exactly. Exactly. Very interesting. All right, uh, Cliff, let me turn it over to you for a minute. I want you to follow up on a couple of things we've already talked about. Okay. Uh, well, you know, in terms of ATP, uh, it's not going to pick up viruses. So, you know, you're there to deal with virus and you're not testing for virus, uh, you know, I- I- at the end. You're testing for other types of microorganisms, which... Uh, don't necessarily cohabitate. Uh, I guess my, my next question is that, or comment is that um, envelope viruses such as COVID are not necessarily difficult to kill. So most disinfectants uh, are, are going to, you know, to work on that. So what my question is for both you and Dave is, are you using a... 45 caliber bullet to kill a rabbit. I mean, are, are we using something that uh, is stepped up in terms of performance, also stepped up in terms of the cost of the product, uh, the cost of the labor, and, and so on and so forth? Is that necessary? Start with I Tom. feel it's necessary, Cliff, to, uh, to, because we don't know much about this new virus. I think we have to assume that is of the most virulent types. And I I really feel like we need to use the best, most effective method, even if it is overkill, similar to the way they built bridges before there were engineers. You over-engineered to assure that you wouldn't have trouble. Tom? Okay. Well, let me respond back to Dave. Go ahead. Well, if you're, if you're talking about the best and most effective, if you go back to what they would, were doing with anthrax, which was the highest level contaminant, you know, they, they, they tried a number of things. And really, you know, one of the things that worked with that was actually fumigation, you know, with formaldehyde. So, uh, you, know, we're not go, you know, we're not going to that level. And uh, if you remember back, there was a lot of damage caused by some of the methods Actually, the Steramist was developed by the Steramist was developed by DARPA by the right. Defense Department to kill anthrax. Understood. And then that technology was purchased by uh, the mothership Tomy some time ago. Understood. Why don't we go, Tom? Same same question. Let's 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 get your thoughts on it. When you have a known um, case of COVID-19 patient in a building, you have to go with that high level of disinfection to give everybody some level of comfort that it was properly disinfected. 
so yeah, you are using a, a big gun for a small object, and it's a little overkill. I'd rather err on the side of uh, caution on that case. But you're not doing this on every project, right, Tom? No, no. So, I, have, so, I have jobs where we're just doing touch point cleaning, wiping surfaces down with uh, detergent, uh, disinfectant solutions, and that's just a low level or, or, or no level of biohazard. It's just more of a PR uh, move for the client to have the school professionally cleaned or, or facility professionally cleaned. Yeah, I've wondered about that because, you know, I, I saw Dr. Anthony Fauci on. He's on every day, but the last couple of days and the last few times I've seen him, he was saying that the virus only lasts a couple of hours um, in in many cases on, on a surface. And that, of course, we know that it, it can last longer than that. But I, I wonder if if um, there might not be a whole lot of disinfection going on that, that maybe isn't totally necessary, that if you waited, you know, you closed your school down for a week um, or nine days and the virus was gone, you just did a deep cleaning. Um, but I guess in your position, you two can't really afford to do that at this point. But what about schools that can't afford your services or when you're so busy you can't do the work anymore? Uh, what kind of recommendations are you giving to those people, Tom? Well, they could wipe things down themselves, go ahead with their own disinfecting and wipe down touch points. You know, they just need to be educated on uh, stepping up their regular custodial cleaning to a, a little more detailed cleaning. You know, that's all it would really take. Because um, honestly, yeah, I agree. The time period, if you let a building sit, it, it, uh, the virus can be become inactive. And also, um, the other other thing is, is when the building gets reoccupied, you know, it could be dirty again. You know, you could clean a building and then the next day you invite 2,000 people back in and you could have contaminants all over again. So most of it is all precautionary uh, so they could say the school was cleaned. You know, that's all. And Dave, as I understand it, um, you know, a lot of these... Schools don't, you know, they can't afford to bring in anybody, even if there were enough people available to do all this cleaning. What kind of recommendations would you give to a school district or a municipal building or or whomever that's using their own staff to do this cleaning? Are there any specific recommendations you would give them as far as educating their people? Well, I think, first of all, uh, you have to look at a lot of these, uh, situations from a safety standpoint I the first thing to go over with their staff is the PPE because I think you have to assume if there was a problem it's similar to the Legionella type testing where you have a culture that takes weeks and weeks to get a positive or negative on you have to the contaminant is so dangerous you have to assume that it's there so they have to be protected when they go in regardless of the type of cleaning they go in that's job one and number two just to assure that they're using a product that will uh, kill a virus agree that a virus is very easy to kill even soap and water can kill a virus or or there's many products that will kill it but uh, I think it's very difficult for a school system to train a janitorial staff 
to protect themselves and then do any type of effective job cleaning. Uh, in my opinion, they're almost better off to let the dormancy period go by where the virus will dissipate. And if they're going to clean, clean immediately before reoccupancy. I like that, Dave. I think that's a smart idea. And I think what I've, and I've got and, a couple. And, in re, and in, if I may comment about the, uh, the over-treatment, I think you have to compare a lot of this to, uh, I think, I think you have to look at using a product like the Steramist that is an extremely high-grade uh, killer as you would look at a flu shot. If you have a suspicion that there's been a hot person in your building, it's almost like a vaccination for your building. You, you, sometimes in life we have to do things preventively that aren't cost-effective. But when you're talking about uh, health and safety issues, I think there's some times where you have to you have to overkill because you certainly can't underkill or we put as contractors, we put ourselves in extreme peril and from a legal standpoint. Let me uh, get to a, a quick text question from a listener um, I think this would go to Dave and or Tom or maybe both of you what level are you using as an acceptable level for ATP post testing I won't use ATP for post testing we only use it for pre-testing because it tells you absolutely nothing about the contaminant that we're targeting hmm. okay we only use it to test the bio load. To, to determine what your response is going to be. Correct. And Tom, same question? Um, same thing. We'll do a before and after comparison showing that we have uh, a reduction in the um, bio load, you know, the uh, cleanly, just to show level of cleanliness. Uh, typically, we'd like to go down to a food grade type surface from our previous experiences. And we're looking at like levels of close to 10 as, as our baseline for a food grade surface. So in some cases, we're, we want to just document the uh, reduction in uh, the uh, bio load on the surface and just show that we did some uh, documentation on the clean, cleaning process. I'm wondering. We only document the project after if we did a pre-clean. Many times we don't do a pre-clean. I see. If it's already cleaned. Cliff, let me bring you in here. Okay, um, I've got really two questions. They, they kind of run together. Uh, the, the first one is, what is the client's expectation of longevity or benefit from your treatment? That, that's question one. And question two is, are you applying anything in addition to uh, the, the Tomai or Steri uh, there are some coatings that are antimicrobial uh, that, you know, you have the silane quats, et cetera, that provide some type of long-term protection, you know, which can be weeks or, or even months or either of you uh, doing that after. So no. first, Okay. So first question I, uh, is benefits, long-term benefits. Second is are you using a coating afterwards? We explained to clients that uh, using the Steramist 
we're, we're achieving uh, a drastic reduction at the moment of application and bringing the, the load, bio load, viral load down close to zero and extreme sanitization. But from that point forward, uh, no guarantees can be made uh, because we don't know how they're going to take care of the building after we leave. So we can only assure extreme sanitization at the moment of application. Tom? I agree with that, and that's where um, the uh, waiver comes into play. You have to have some documentation say, saying that, that there's no guarantees, and that we cannot um, guarantee that there's going to be uh, recontamination after the building is reoccupied. Uh, and Ed Cross went over this the other day on a webinar, and he's releasing his documents, like you said, on uh, contracts for uh, biohazard cleanup and specifically COVID-19 cleanup. You have to have some sort of waiver and, and explanation to your clients that you, there's, you can't have a 100% guarantee in the end. You're doing the best you can with the best practices and tools you have to clean and disinfect that facility on that day. You know, to minimize or reduce the risk. Cliff, it sounds I like... I think it's also important... I think it's also important the beginning of the project. Because we have a new uh, viral agent, there's going to be no label for this contaminant. There's no, no product that's specifically geared to knock knock out the COVID and I think you have to explain to the client the process you're using provide them the white papers the safety data sheets the research and ultimately we, we want to have a confirmation email back from the client saying that they have reviewed the product we're going to apply and they have consulted their experts and they agree that this is the right product and the best product for their application. We, we're not making any promises or any expectations. It's up to them. We present them with this product. We think this would be the best. If you think it's the best, then we'll go ahead with it, and we always confirm that in writing. Okay. Guys, I, I got a break for halftime here and thank our sponsors. When we come back, I, I might, I'm, I'm hoping I can bring Ed Light in. He uh, has texted and had a couple... Uh, suggestions from his perspective. So we'll be back in uh, 60 seconds with the second half of today's very interesting From the Trenches show on the uh, coronavirus. IAQ Radio Industry sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com for technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. 
association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at siriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. ACGIH, advancing the careers of professionals working in the environmental health, industrial hygiene, and safety communities. Interested in defining their science at ACGIH.org. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. Right, guys, I want to throw out a, uh, a scenario to you and, and see what your thoughts are on this. You've got a facility where there has been a... A confirmed case of the COVID-19. And you're, you're being brought in um, to clean this facility and, and disinfect it or, or just clean it, whichever. Um, there's been some question on whether or not we should first maybe fog the disinfectant or use an electrostatic spray or whatever or, or some other method to help agglomerate the particulate in the air and hopefully draw it down to the ground, and also maybe to kill some of the virus that your employees would then be exposed to during the cleaning, then go in and clean and follow with another application of a fogging or, or disinfecting. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Let's let's start with the Z-Man on that. Um, I think it would be prudent uh, to do that first because I think that, you know, we know that, the virus could be airborne. There's particles. Uh, we also know that your horizontal surfaces are where it would settle. Uh, there's also a lot of allergens uh, that are potentially in the air as well. So I think fogging uh, has the ability to bring a lot of this particulate down the horizontal surfaces. The next question is fogging with what? Okay, and yes. you have some... Uh, you know, you have some options there. You could use just plain water. You could use amended water, which would be water uh, with a detergent in it. Uh, you could use an antimicrobial product that is uh, approved for fogging. And the next question is what type of fogging? Uh, is the smaller droplet better, uh, as would be applied by a thermal fogger, or is a larger droplet preferred? which would be applied by uh, ULVs. Uh, I would think that uh, the more particles, the better. Uh, So I would probably lean more towards thermal fogging, and I would lean more towards thermal fogging with a water-based product as opposed to a uh, petroleum-based product. And there are products that are EPA-registered as air sanitizers uh, that are glycol-based. And they would be very, very effective, I believe, in this situation. Uh, They're commonly used for theatrical fogging. However, uh, there are also EPA-registered products uh, that are registered for air sanitizing. I think for effective air sanitizing, there's a consideration 
which is the relative humidity. The relative humidity needs to generally be held at about uh, 60% uh, during the process. So if it's, you know, if it's the desert, you're going to probably want to add a little bit of humidity. I think in a lot of the East Coast regions in the South, that's probably going to be your humidity anyway. So I think uh, I would probably measure it, but uh, that's my opinion on it. Okay. Dave, I know you've done a lot of uh, work in micro-cleaning and uh, working with very sensitized people, and you've used some of these processes in the past and, and, and quite often, actually. I wonder what your thoughts are. I think you have two scenarios here with the uh, the coronavirus. One, you have a building where people want to prevent infection without a confirmed case and then you have uh, buildings where there's actually been infected people dwelling in the building for a period of time and I think you have to treat both of those a little differently just as in a sewage loss when you might come in and do a knockdown spray or on it especially in a trauma type situation some type of dead body cleanup where a body has been in a building for a long time I think if you have an active corona person that's dwelled in the building, I think your PPE has to be the same as a dead body cleanup. And I think you have to come in and do a knockdown with your fog or your mist. With us, it would be a steramist. And then if there's surface cleaning to be done, do that and then finish with a, another application. So it, at certain situations, you might have to treat the building twice a uh, steramist sandwich, so to speak. Okay. Tom, let me get your thoughts on that one. Yeah, I like that idea, but you have to be cautious about who's fogging, uh, using some sort of aerosolized or compressed air in a building that's not cleaned. You could be generating, you could be blowing more dust around too. So uh, I agree with the fog first and, and knock down, but it depends on how it's performed. And that, uh, you know, you could be stirring up some dust um, that was sitting on, on surfaces as well if you're pointing it towards the surface rather than the air. So you might be blowing stuff around if you're not doing it properly. So that's my concern there. Okay. And what, what by doing it properly, can you expand on that just a little bit? Um, like if you're blowing uh, something around, around computers and you know how dusty it gets behind computers you could be blowing dust particles around now you have uh, more more contamination flying around to to clean up so if you're directing it towards uh, a dusty surface or maybe even dusty ceiling tiles you could be uh, putting more particles in the air than, than, than it's needed obviously the droplets will bring it down to the surface and then you're going to be cleaning and then fogging again, but um, I'm just bringing that to the attention to everybody on how it should be done and not make a mess. No, I think it's an important point. That's uh, a good point. And let me, Cliff, let me go back to you. Uh, go ahead. Well, I, you know, I agree with everything that, that, that both Dave and, and Thomas said. You know, with the fogging, you know, one of the advantages of you know, thermal fogging is it doesn't necessarily have a lot of velocity necessarily behind it. And it has a tendency to, uh, you know, to naturally rise. 
uh, if you're using theatrical type fogging equipment, uh, that uses very little, you know, that creates very little air disturbance. So I believe it's, it's very, very possible uh, to do it. And I think their point's well taken. Uh, if you're using your conventional type of fog, the ULVs and that type of fogger, because essentially that's like the reverse of a, uh, you know, of, of a vacuum cleaner. So, you know, you're blowing, you know, an airstream that could be 50, 75, 100 miles an hour. And if you're too close, you're definitely going to uh, kick stuff up. But I think another point that, uh, the guys have mentioned is that it's predictable, I think, where dust is going to be. So I think I might be inclined to pre-dust uh, some of those you know, known areas where you have electronic equipment, uh, ledges, uh, ceiling tiles, uh, you know, things like that. And dusting, I think, would be a lot faster than necessarily, you know, trying to hemp a vacuum Okay, and I, I, by the way, Ed, uh, Ed Light, if you're still on, let text me in the private chat so that I can figure out if we can bring you on for your thoughts. I'd love to get your your opinion on this. Um, I also want to make a quick comment. I've had several conversations with contractors and um, others that are dealing with these school districts and um, municipal buildings, etc. And I find, you know, I want to look at the positive side of this to some degree because I think what they're figuring out is that these schools and buildings and buses and other facilities are absolutely filthy in general and that they're not getting enough cleaning and that they're now realizing that after the fact and that custodial and operations and maintenance budgets have been cut to the bone in this country and maybe in many others, I don't know, and that I think a lot of these school districts and public buildings and others are starting to realize after the fact, unfortunately, that their buildings have not been taken care of properly over the years. And so even though they may not have a case of coronavirus, doing this cleaning is probably a darn good thing for them. Another thing that I want to bring up, I was on the CIAQ, which is the uh, government's Committee on Indoor Air Quality, where they bring together the uh, representatives from the Department of Energy, from EPA, from NIOSH, etc., usually OSHA's on there, uh, National Institutes of Science, and one of the public health people from Washington brought up the point that... Um, Over the last 10 to 15 years, she and others have been working really hard with school districts to reduce the amount of disinfecting they do and to go to just cleaning and using soap and water for that cleaning. And that that was because certain disinfecting products, in particular, they mentioned the quaternary ammonium chloride disinfectant products, commonly referred to as quats, will... Uh, can be triggers for asthma attacks. So I think school districts may and contractors may want to consider that as well and that during their final process they may want to consider uh, how much they're using, uh, whether they're overusing these products, and be very careful on that topic. So I just wanted to bring those two points up during this portion of the discussion. Um, Now, next I want to bring in 
the Restoration Watchdog, Pete Consigli, and get his thoughts on what we've talked about so far. Pete? Yeah. So I I just uh, forwarded to you, Joe, well, to, to you, Joe, uh, Cliff, and, of course, Tom and uh, uh, Dave are on their phones. They may not got, but RAA literally just sent an email out that hit good. my inbox within the last five minutes. And essentially, it's a joint email that comes from them and their co-location partner, DKI. Uh, short, the short, short story is they're monitoring everything. They're adjusting the content. Um, they're adjusting the content to uh, to address the issues of the COVID nineteen. They're in constant contact with the vendors and you know all the supporters of the event. There's no plans to cancel yet. But if anything changes, since it's fluid and paraphrasing, they they will immediately and promptly advise. So anyway, that literally just hit. Um, I, I guess, uh, and I, I sent a little text to everyone on here that uh, Ed Cross and you know Tom and others brought it up. Um, he's posted everything and all of his stuff on LinkedIn. It's all over the social media. So anyone that's interested uh, can check into that. Um, so listen, I, I found Cliff's question very interesting. Philosophically, Cliff and me agree on a lot of stuff. We do different once in a while, but, you know, uh, that's what makes the world go round. But uh, something that, uh, you know, Marty King uh, taught a lot of the restoration cr- contractors years ago, and I think this is the essence of Cliff's question that Dave and Tom addressed is, you know, don't go after something with a baseball bat when a fly swatter will take care of the job. And professional restorers have always been trained to start with the least intensive procedure in order to accomplish the desired results. It's part of our DNA. Because once you go too far, you can't go back. But having said all that, when you're dealing with the unknown, then sometimes we tend to be uh, um, overcautious, maybe. I'm not sure what exactly what word to use uh, because it's not, we, don't, we don't have a frame of reference on it like we do in drying jobs, mold remediation, fire restoration. You know, we have frame of reference on those things. This is something that we don't. So, you know, who's to say whether we overreact or not? I mean, any of, any of you that have dealt with any kind of risk management, whether it's dealing with insurance or dealing with an attorney, something along those lines, sometimes decisions and choices are made dealing with insurance companies. You know, you do things uh, for reasons other than well maybe it doesn't make sense or it's not practical but extra ounce of prevention or, or we want to ensure against liability that kind of thing you know, as long as people understand that then i guess you have to put into context whether it's too reactionary or not you know who's to say when you deal with you know some of these things but i still think the good philosophy you know and, and tom peter really articulated it well with the clients you know versus touch cleaning you know, or do we do we go to the stair mist and to you know the uh, you know the more intensive procedures, and then you know what's the pros and cons? I mean, Dave, Dave brought that up. I, I agree with that. That sometimes you have to give options to your customers, and they got to make the final decision. Even though they ask for your extra opinion, any good restorer, anyone who has anything to sell knows that you lay the options out. Maybe a good, better, best. And if you and you know Marty King always taught us if you give good sound information to people 
they will normally make the right decision not always but that's the best that we can do give our best professional judgment or opinion based on experience and um and then you go from there like dave said sometimes they say well you know have your other experts or advisors back check and uh, let us know what you think so you know there's something to be said for that um i uh the one thing joe that i guess i'll weigh in with and i know we're getting very close to the roundup so can't get ed in here i love the social distancing italian style i like to know what that is but i'm not going to go there um so uh, a couple things uh, as some of the listeners are aware of you know it's uh, one of the other events that i'm involved with after the winter break in the aml is uh the andy asking in the spring training which is a lot of people that are involved with Steve Ritz summer camp. And um, they just made the decision yesterday to cancel the event. And, and they canceled the event for really a lot of the same reasons that other events are being canceled, is that many of the key speakers, the vendors, the sponsors who work for different companies, they're getting restricted uh, travel mandates from their organization. So mm-hmm. therefore, it kills an event. Um so, uh, but uh, fortunately, the, the venues, uh, people are working with other people on this because nobody wants to kind of get a bad rap that, uh, you know, they took advantage of a situation and didn't want to work with somebody to either give them a refund or to uh, apply credit somewhere, whatever the case would be. Um, probably within the next uh, few weeks, they've rebooking everything and they'll make announcements as far as next year and they're getting great support from everyone. Uh, I was, I talked to Cliff about this. We're still planning on doing a show on the 27th that we had on the books and I will finalize and let you know, I'm hoping that Andy ask will be on that and a handful of others. And I think one of the points of that particular show, Joe, tell all the listeners now is to talk about the business decisions that organizations made to cancel the events. I think these are important lessons that need to be shared with the audience also and put in Cliff's blog. In other words, there is a process that people go to, and I think REA is being very diligent in what they're doing as far as, you know, they haven't canceled the event yet. And I think part of it is is that a lot of the members that members are doing this work. <laughs> now, yeah. maybe people won't get on planes and they won't fly to New Orleans, but certainly people may want to drive. So I think we wait, and I think the organization is going through due diligence. But I think all businesses have done that and any of that that can be shared with the audience and just once it goes into the blog it's really in it's it's out there you know in the internet um i think this is helpful to say well this is why we did this these were the decisions we didn't take them lightheartedly there are big implications there's financial implications there's uh you know there's emotional implications sometimes there's a number of things and um this thing they were talking about that this morning with the sports they said in the history of our con- country, there has never been a precedent that, you know, the America and many countries, the Europe and the Australians, the, the, the sporting events are a huge part of the culture. All right. And after 9-11, some things happened. But other than that, they're, they're hard pressed to say where anything took place like this, where all these events were wiped out. And, and, and I don't think that people recognize the impact of that and how that affects you know, the culture of a country. So uh, so anyway, we're looking forward to still doing that show on the 27th. The other little thing I'll give you the update on, the moisture mob. 
So, uh, Joe, I don't know whether you know this or not yet, but Cliff does. We finally got um, Mr. Thornton there from the Tarquette Sports Flyers to commit. I got his bio. I'm going to be sending something this afternoon. We're going to book him. We're going to see if we can get a hard, hardwood floor our guy on board. And then we'll hear from the cleanup hitter of the Moisture Mob, our floor inspector extraordinaire, Mr. Vieira from uh, from San Jose, California. So we're going to get the rest of the Moisture Mob on there. And uh, this stuff is really important because uh, a couple of them were going, and Andrew, uh, and I think Mickey Lee, they were going to give a report to the IISRC Standards Committee on um, uh, some of the concrete testing that they're working on that impacts standards in, in the flooring industry, the restoration, remedial industry. And uh, so a lot of these guys are involved in that process. So I think they'll have very interesting information really for the listeners. And, uh, and of course, Felicia, you know, close friend and our friend of the show and Healthy Building Summit, uh, she was going to be talking about, you know, some of the cleaner procedures and dealing with the fecal matter on these sewage losses. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of those procedures uh, transcend and apply to doing this infection control cleanup. I mean, uh, just like the asbestos abatement protocols, there's a lot of parallels, you know, and how we go about uh, doing the engineering controls and the level of detail of the cleaning and the protection for the workers and how we protect the sites for the customers and whatnot. So um, that's kind of my report. So if, 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 I, if we started the roundup, there's what I got to say. Uh, good job, gentlemen. And I look, Joe, I, unless I'm wrong on this, I kind of tend to think that over the next several months that IQ Radio should be handling and carrying, uh, you know, every two to three weeks. Uh, we have some special guests. We have an open mic show, and we update everyone on what's going on out there like we did in 217 after we had that triple hit. You know, we had six, seven shows over three or four months after Irma, Harvey, and Maria. And I, I kind of think we already have the model in place, and I'll do anything that, uh, that I can do to help uh, you guys in the recruiting and, uh, you know, helping uh, um, give the updates and bring that message uh, to the loyal, growing list of listeners, Mr. Hughes. So on that note, and the Z-Man, I, I, I can't wait to review this blog. Well, you've been taking notes like a madman here. I have a feeling this is going to be one powerful blog. So anyway, thank you to all of you that called in, and good luck and stay safe out there. And thank you, Tom and, uh, and Dave. I know you guys are busy as heck. I appreciate you all calling in. Turn it back to you, sir. Thank you, Pete. All right, let's go real quick roundup music. I want to get one last comment. Let me, uh, before we bring, I'm hoping we can get Ed Light on the line. Before we do, Dave, any final thoughts, final comments? I think uh, it's very important to emphasize the proper PPE in these cleanups. I think you have to protect your people first, protect the, protect the people in the building, and then protect the building in that order. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, and, and thanks for taking time out to join us today. We really appreciate it. Let's go to you, Tom Peter. Final thoughts, final comments. Yeah, I just want everybody to be safe out there. I agree with them. Mm-hmm. And um, follow safe protocols for using the chemicals, uh, not putting anybody in harm's way, and uh, follow the instructions that the chemical is supposed to be used. And don't promise people things you can't do, and don't make any BS statements about efficacy and uh, kill kill ratio. All right. Tom, thanks to you as well for taking time out to join us today. I know you're, you're very, very busy. 
Um, let's go see if we've got Ed Light, uh, CIH extraordinaire out of the D.C. area. Ed, do we have you? Uh, do you? I hear you. Very good. Ed, Alrighty. Fine. give me some few so, thoughts. Uh, so here's my opinion on what's critical to do the sanitizing of occupied buildings. First of all, uh, use the EPA-registered product that's effective against envelope viruses, and that's a whole ton of products available for that. Do not use green cleaners, and I won't go on about that. I'll send you my paper on it. It's important to include all surfaces, not not just the classical high-touch, but any surface that could get cough or sneeze droplets. Uh, You should do this work while the immediate space is vacant, because, of course, you disturb stuff. Uh, uh, We generally advise just do your your sanitizing twice, and that covers your pre-cleaning. And then quality control is just so important. Make sure that all the surfaces in the scope have actually been done. Now, forget about testing for ATP or whatever. Uh, what, what we do is just visual fingertip. Make sure there's no dust or debris because that meant that, that the sanitizing guy hasn't hit it. Keep it simple. And then occupied building, repeat this regularly. All right, Ed, very thank, very, very helpful. I, I really appreciate that. I'm sure Cliff got it. He'll put it in the blog. Cliff, before we sign off, let's get your final thoughts. Well, my, my, my final thoughts are I'm glad that you, you had a chance to bring Ed on because uh, he did write an excellent paper uh, on green cleaning and evaluation of it compared to other types of, of products, including quad. And I, th- I think it's great. And Ed, if you send me the link to it, uh, I'll put it. I'll put a link to your paper in the blog because I think a lot of listeners uh, would appreciate it. And my my, my last comment is that uh, I believe that you know because the customers are, are spending money on this, I think they do deserve something long term. And I, I would stress there are a couple of different types of antimicrobial uh, products. Remember, these are not paints; these are spray-on products. Uh, that do provide some types of long-term protection. Uh, so I, I do think that adding those to uh, you know, these high-level programs does give the customer, I believe, for a few dollars more, a very, very valuable takeaway uh, that they can uh, refer to. And, and I guess the last thing is uh, when we had Dr. Zelikoff on, really the concern about these ICU rooms uh, where people are on ventilators, and there's just been a lot of infection spread among health workers uh, from aspiration of uh, uh, viral particles. So you got to be really, really careful if you're cleaning, uh, you know, any of those types of rooms. All right. Thank you, Cliff. My, my thanks go out to Tom Peter and Dave Mason and, of course, the Restoration Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. We'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of 
IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening.